Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am happy to welcome you back to episode five of the Two Pad Stack. I'm your host, Aaron Ace Chiseling. Um, with me today, we have my wonderful counterpart, Burge the goalie. How's it going, Burge? It's going well. How's everything going with you? you had a oh good week. man, yeah, it was a it was a good one, dude. We uh, we went out on Friday night and. You know, had some good times out there and, and had dinner and everything. We don't usually get out with the kids. So being able to get out, have some dinner outside, you know, we were on the patio, some drinks outside. I've said outside like six times. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> weather was nice. It's starting to feel a little bit like fall here in New Hampshire. Um, I've had some early reports from the folks up north that the leaves are turning a little bit already. Got some orange leaves showing up here. So um yeah it was good and then my brother he came by and we went to a nice little brew pub downtown rochester new hampshire here and he officially asked me to be his best man awesome which was super exciting um so shout out to my brother jeff um very excited for you guys i'm stoked for the wedding um happy to be your best man and um his wonderful fiance cecile was super nice and offered for my wife to be a bridesmaid. My older daughter is going to be a junior bridesmaid. That's and awesome. my youngest daughter is going to be a flower girl. So it was a very exciting weekend. What about you, buddy? Did you do anything special? You know, right on the uh, the topic of having a night's out without the kids, we had uh, a wedding to go to this weekend up in Ringe, New Hampshire, which is out west. And uh, my mom came, stayed at the house with the two infants. Uh, my older son went with my wife's mother. And we got to have a full night's sleep for the first time in over a month. Holy smokes, that's worth a celebration, dude. I was more pumped about that than the wedding. The wedding was an absolute <laughs> blast, but the night's sleep was even better. I hear you there, absolutely. Especially with infants, man. That's a, that's a breath of fresh air for sure. <laughs> absolutely. Um, let's check in with somebody else that's joining us today. So we're happy to have another guest on the Two Pad Stack podcast. Rather than a guest interview, we're going to have a guest host on today. So we've already previously announced it on social media. Um somebody that I've been friends with through Sim League communities for quite a while and somebody that Burge knows through um, being a goalie itself and, and his educational roots. Um, happy to have a friend of the pod, Curtis Blix Larod, which is actually French for The Rod. Join. How's it going, Blix? I'm doing well. Um, it's, it's nice to get the, uh, the correct pronunciation on the name there. Um, no, uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, you know, happy to join the pod. Uh, really excited to get on here and, and uh, continue to, uh, you know, put on the tradition that you've started here with the, with the new podcast. I've really enjoyed uh, listening to the, the first four episodes. Um, and yeah, happy to be here. Hey, yeah, we definitely appreciate you checking us out. I know it's something that's probably been hashed out before with other Boston Bruins fan podcasts, but, you know, with the whole goaltenders union, we try to bring a little bit of a different vibe to it. And, you know, then we're also not all like 19, 20, 24 year old kids that are, you know, out partying. You know, I still am a big fan of no beer is safe, but, you know, the whole being a dad thing really kind of comes to the forefront on this podcast, too. So we're trying to bring a different uh, perspective on things, especially as we continue during the uh, the doldrums of the offseason here for the Boston Bruins and the NHL itself. Um, you know, there's been a little bit of news that's been sprinkling in, but um, we'll certainly touch on that later on in the pod, you know, specifically about the Bruins signing 
um, Farinacci and Alex Chase onto a PTO. But first, we wanted to kind of just um, have some conversations with you, Blake. I mean, everybody knows, you know, my story of how I got into being a goalie. We've already talked about Burge and some of our, you know, finest moments when we were kids and some of the memories that we kind of think back very fondly on. But um, how did you get into hockey and, and how did you land on being a goaltender? Um, so growing up, I mean, my dad grew up playing hockey. He's from uh, you know, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. So, you know, being from Canada, everybody plays hockey, I guess. Um, <laughs> so so he, you know, when I was young, probably three or four or so, you know, he got me on skates um, into like a learn to play program type of thing. Um, and so started off doing that, you know, was, was, uh, I think I started as a forward, you know, just growing up and, um, eventually moved back to defense. Um, and then at some point, I think maybe 11 or 12 or something, um, I, I decided that I wanted to be a goaltender for, for whatever reason. Um, I guess I had that little bit of craziness in me, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as, as all goalies are, um, allegedly, allegedly exactly um i think what what really spurred me was i played for the youth organization the manchester flames growing up um i'm i'm from merrimack originally as well so from you know the new england area um and i always had an affinity for the calgary flames and i always loved watching mika kiprasov growing up um you know in, in the early 2000s and whatnot um so that's that's really what spurred me into playing goalie um, played up throughout college like Burge um, for for same the same school. college, Daniel Webster. Um, so we've got that's that's really where we met. Um, I think Burge was a was a senior the year before I came in. Um, so I came we we kind of traded spots there, I guess. Youngin. Um, <laughs> yeah, comparatively. Uh, so yeah, that's that's uh, pretty much my story. It's cool, man. I mean, you mentioned Mika Kiprasov, and I do remember when I was younger, I always, you know, I didn't watch a lot of Calgary Flames games just because they were a West Coast team, and I was predominantly, you know, focused on the Boston Bruins and East Coast games that were more, you know, impacting, you know, the Eastern Conference standings, Mm -hmm. um, which happens very often throughout the NHL community is that, you know, everybody hammers that drum, oh, East Coast bias. I'm not going to lie, dude, I don't want to stay up until 10 a.m., to watch your game begin. Like I'm going to go to sleep. I have a job tomorrow. Like I'll catch up on the highlights and stuff. But um, one thing that always kind of caught my eye was how Mika Kiprasov played like that early butterfly style. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would always try to be very technically sound, but he was so goddamn athletic and he would always throw out those crazy desperation saves too. And he had, he always had like, you know I mean? I mean the red and yellow, color combination is just a sick combo in general but his gear was always like really awesome looking and i would always try to like look at some of his gear for inspiration whenever i had an opportunity of getting like some custom pads or anything like that absolutely and you know one of my fondest memories of me kiprasov was the i think it was the 03 cup finals when calgary played tampa bay yeah i was all on calgary bandwagon that year um still think they got robbed by that that crazy no goal slowed down camera picture. Uh, I think it was game six. It was an overtime and yeah, it was a goal in my eyes. And he, in my opinion, got absolutely robbed of having a, uh, a Stanley cup to his name. It's it's funny. You mentioned that I was actually, 
uh, playing adult league the other night and in they have like a, a pizza place in the rink and in the bar they were showing the game seven between the Tampa Bay and, and Calgary from that cup series. Um, so we were watching a little bit of that after. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, Mika Kiprasov reminds me a lot of kind of a modern day flurry where he's, he's got that technically sound baseline, but he's, he's not afraid to just like throw his body on the line and, and do whatever he can mm-hmm. to make the save basically. And it, that that really makes a lot of really fun like highlight reel saves that end up going on that you know top ten saves of the year at the end of the year. So that's definitely how I can remember a lot of Mika Kiprasov. And and he was um, correct me if I'm wrong. He's Finnish, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yes, he uh, is. Yep. Yep. Another great example of that that Finnish goaltending school that just seems to have churned out so many high-end goaltenders you know you got like Pekarine, Tukarask, Mika Kiprasov the list just goes on and on and on you know those Finnish they uh they're a small but mighty hockey community just churning out high-end goaltenders I think it's crazy that he only won one Vesna trophy in, in his career he was consistently in the top three I think he had uh like four top three finishes but he only had the one, and that was that was I think the year that they, uh, the year after the uh, lockout. And oh yeah. He he. I remember he was always in the conversation amongst the best in the league during his time, and uh, you know, like you said with the whole finish thing, you know me with Tuka Rask, I'm probably his biggest fan. It's uh, it's just uh, you know, they churn him out, like you said. Absolutely. So we've talked about how you decided to be a goalie, which I think is a little interesting because it's a little different than my story. You know, when I decided I was going to be a goalie, it wasn't, you know, after I had already started playing hockey. It was a, you know, right when I put on skates, I'm going into the net. I knew I was a goalie immediately because I played soccer as a goalie. And, you know, being a goalie just made sense to me. So we know your story there. How did you get to become a Bruins fan? Is it simply just because you were based in the New England region? It's funny. I, that definitely plays a part, I'm sure. Um, but for some reason, my dad growing up in, in you know, the Cape Breton area, he was always a Bruins fan growing up, too. Um, I'm not sure why you think they'd be, you know, I mean, Montreal being the closest, you know, professional hockey team. Um, yeah. You'd think he would be he'd be a Canadians fan. But for some reason, um, he loves the Bruins um, and most of his family is actually Bruins fans too. I'm not, maybe it's the community up there just likes the Bruins. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it wasn't just the coincidence of living in new England too. My dad was also just a diehard Bruins fan growing up. So it was an easy, you know, meshing of the area and, you know, parental, parental pushing on what team to like. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I mean, that, my, go ahead. I was going to say that close to being a Habs fan, man. That close, man. That would have been a real shame. <laughs> yeah, everybody loves Habs fans, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I I have noticed in general, though, in Canada, like w- when you know we had James Sabolski on, he was talking about how his dad was a Bruins fan, um, and there they were in the Ottawa area, and I really do think that's because of the ripples that Bobby Orr made um in the hockey community itself um and bobby is still like the face of the boston bruins franchise um you know he was from 
Perry Sound, Ontario, which if I don't re- if I remember correctly, I believe that's nearby Ottawa. And um, the Ottawa community has a lot of French speaking folks as well. So some of that Bruins fandom may have gone east from Ottawa uh, to the Cape Breton area. If Cape Breton is, the, I, I don't have Canadian geography as one of my um, topics of interest, but um, but yeah, there's just a ton of bees fans up north still, and it's usually those people that inherited it from their parents, and they just kind of kept that going. It's really funny, like my stepfather, he was the one that kind of got me into hockey um, by just exposing me to it. He was never like a really big fan of the NHL. He never really understood why I was so obsessed with it, but you know, he grew up playing as a defenseman, and he grew up in some not-so-great financial times, so they ended up he was telling me a story when he was doing tryouts for JV uh, in high school out in Vermont. That's where he grew up was a town called Middlebury, Vermont. And um, he would just take crumpled up newspaper and put that in front of his legs and use those as shin guards. He's like, for the most part, it was fine, like with regular body contact. But, you know, when people are cranking out slap shots and those are hitting you in the shin when all you had was newspaper that was strapped to your legs, not a great time. It's funny. It's funny you bring that up because, you know, going to my story, my dad was a goalie growing up. And that was part of the reason why he ended up quitting when he was in high school was because of, you know, a financial situation and the quality of the equipment that they had. He was playing with guys that were, you know, three, four years older than him. And the guy come out with welts, he'd be hurting every day after and it ended up steering him away from the game until he became an adult, which I'm I'm grateful he went back because otherwise I don't know if I would have gotten into it as much. Now, Blix, did your dad play? Yeah, my dad did play. Um, I, I don't think, I mean, they were, he was definitely in, you know, the, the harder times financial situation as well. And he had, he's actually the youngest of, I believe, eight. Um, so I there, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of money to go around towards playing hockey. Um, but certainly, you know, they played a lot of uh, pond hockey being from Canada. You know, it's actually cold enough to, to have ice yeah. for most of the year. Um, so he played a lot of pond hockey, actually played some adult leagues when I was younger, um, before he kind of realized that people in adult leagues are generally crazy mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he valued going to work in the morning rather than, uh, you know, trying to fight somebody on the ice, I guess. Um, so yeah, he, he grew up playing. I don't know if he was the best or, or, or whatnot, but he certainly instilled, um, the love for hockey and, and, and the Bruins and me at a very, very young age. Yeah, I mean, those guys that show up to men's league, they're just waiting for that that scout to show up. They know one day he's going to be in there, whether it's just complete happenstance. But I uh, I told Burge the story about my time at Warrior Ice Arena when we rented out ice directly after the development camp, and me and a couple of the other goalies were just sitting there, and Don Sweeney and Cam Neely are up there, and I was like, oh, it's here it is, it's time um that yeah it's it's always funny getting some context into how people ended up in the hockey community and you know it it seems like it's a community that kind of once you're in it's it's something that kind of holds on to the people that get into it you know everybody kind of always stays part of it um i've heard a lot of people describe boston's hockey fandom um as a very you know loyal and intense fan group because even though boston has so many great 
sports franchises on the professional side and even on the college side, you know, there's not a lot of interconnectivity. Um, you know, you don't see a lot of Bruins and Celtics fans. You don't see, you know, there is a lot of interconnectivity between the Pats and the Bees, I feel like. Um, you know, Burge and I can speak to that. We're both Pats fans. He knows a lot more than I do. I'm a very casual Pats fan. But um, just just the Bees fandom in general is just very, very intense. Um, now, Blix, you've moved out of New England, correct? You're you're down in, you know, the Atlantic, a little further south now? Yeah, I live in, I live in Northern Virginia now, um, you know, about 45 minutes northwest of D.C. Um, came, came here for work. Have you gone to any bees games in DC? I have. I've been to a few. Um, I've been to a few few of the Caps games when they played the Bruins. Um, I've been to a couple games where they haven't played the Bruins as well, just to see some professional hockey. Um, Ovechkin is certainly a, a heavy draw to watch, uh, no matter who they're playing. You know, seeing the stars of the game. Um, so yeah, I've caught a few. It's always good when you get to see the best, like pure scorer of this generation, like you just see Ovi go into his spot on that circle and you know, like it's almost like a sure bet, like 75% of the time. It doesn't even matter if they're covering him. He's going to somehow get open. He's going to somehow get that one timer off and he's going to score that fucking goal at least once a game. I feel like even though he's like, he looks like he's 74 years old out there with the gray (laughs) and his hair and his beard and everything, but it doesn't matter. He doesn't even need to skate. It's like Glenn Murray out there. When he was in his heyday, he could get a shot off anywhere on the one timer. Um, he skated like uh, he had, you know, quicksand in his boots or whatever. But you know, when you have a, a puck distributor like Kuznetsov or or like Nicholas Backstrom, I know he is, um, you know, fighting some injury issues right now. But he's always been one of the top tier puck distribution players in the NHL. Um, when you have guys like that that can give a guy like Ovi the puck, man, it's just magic and it's so fun to watch. I just wish it didn't happen so much against us. I still have that oh. nasty taste in my mouth from that. Um, it wasn't a home opener. It was just the season opener, I think, in like 2018 or 2017. And I was so excited for the year to begin. And we just got friggin' walloped. It was like 8-2 to two down at Capital One Arena. Do you guys remember that game? It does. I don't have it off the top of my head. Not that one, but the one that instantly came to mind once you started talking about this was the playoffs in 2012 with Joel Ward, you know, scoring an overtime on Timmy Thomas and ending the season. I remember that night having to go to work the next morning at like 6 a.m. It was a miserable, miserable night. I don't know if you if you recall that game there, Blix. Yeah, that 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 overtime winner is just uh, certainly one that sticks out in your mind is just a, a heartbreaking ending to a season. You always thought Timmy was going to make the save. You know, that's that's kind of no matter what situation. But especially defending the cup, especially defending the cup the year after, especially that's why it hurts so bad. Yeah. And And, and they were such a strong team that year as well. Yeah, they were president's trophy winners that year, weren't they? See how well that goes for us every time we win that goddamn trophy. It's almost like there's a curse associated. Weird. Never want to win that thing again. (laughs) <laughs> just punch your ticket and get in. That's all we got to do. Just you got to punch the ticket and get in. Yeah. And that year was a, um, a real banner year for Boston sports fans um, on earning their reputation as being the most racist sports fans. Yes. In, uh, in North America. Yeah. Leave it to leave it to the Boston Bruins fans on Twitter to say some really shitty things 
after Joel Ward scored that goal. Holy smokes. Um, that's why you got to tune that Twitter out when, you know, they lose a big game because you know those idiots are going to come out of the out of the out of the woodworks and they're going to say things they don't maybe they don't mean, maybe they do, but something I don't want to be associated with. Exactly, exactly. Well, we've talked a little bit of Beast Puck already. As I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the pod, we have some news that's come in since we recorded last. So, um, you know, with the state that the Boston Bruins are in right now, with a severe lack of draft capital, um, a severe lack of cap space, a severe lack of competent centers. So that's the hat trick of just shitty situations right there, right? Um Donnie Sweeney was going to have to be a little bit uh, creative if he was going to go out there and find some way to supplement our center depth with somebody with legitimate upside. So what he did is he did NCAA Donnie things like he always does. Um, So, yeah, um, Don Sweeney was able to go out there and grab New Jersey native Harvard product John Farinacci um, to a two-year entry-level contract. Uh, Farinacci was a third round pick by the Arizona Coyotes. I believe he was 71st overall. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot of, uh, he, he's got a lot of upside. I think, I think he's got probably middle six center potential. Um, he had a prominent role for the world juniors, um, during the COVID-19 year, uh, 2021 or so. So two years ago. Um, he was batting a little bit of injuries last year with his final season at Harvard. He was the captain for the Crimson, um, but he was producing at a pretty high level. I think he had like nine goals in 20 games and a bunch of assists. So he was almost point per game at the NCAA level. Um, all the scouting reports that I've read, I admit I haven't seen him myself, but all the scouting reports that I've read say that he's a very uh, cerebral two-way centerman. Um, but his best asset is probably his shot. And that really excites me. Um, I'm really hoping that, you know, that two-way game that is being touted for him translates well, um, and he can kind of learn from players like Charlie Coyle and uh, put together a decent little pro campaign. What did you guys think about the signing? I mean, uh, given what's, what's gone on with, you know, Krejci and, and Bergeron retiring. And obviously like you touched on the cap issues, I'm all for them taking as many shots at the, uh, or, I mean, throwing as many darts at the dartboard as they can and hope one of them hits a bullseye. You know, you keep bringing bodies in uh, just see how they look in the preseason. Even if they got to spend a little bit of time in the minors to begin with, maybe, maybe you get, uh, you know, a diamond to come out there. Um, so I'm all for the signing. It's, it seems like a very low risk, potentially a high reward out of it um so yeah any any guys they can get in that show some promise i'm i'm all for it and nothing there's no no risk associated with it yeah man it's like house money blix what do you think about the signing um i i feel very similarly about it um i think i think it's a great signing um out of college I, i i he was originally drafted by the coyotes um and i don't think it was a situation where the coyotes uh, didn't want to sign him. Um, he kind of made the decision to finish out his collegiate career and and not sign with the Coyotes for whatever reason, maybe because they play in a college arena. But <laughs> um, but he so it's certainly you know a third round you know prior third round pick. Um, you've you've got to admit I assume that there's some upside there. Um, he he showed great in his last collegiate 
year at Harvard, like you said. Um, honestly, no surprise that he signs with the Bruins, being that Ted Donato is the coach of Harvard. Mm-hmm. That's um, a good point. Yeah, good, good bringing up that. Um, you know, he's actually he's actually cousins with Ryan Donato. Ted Donato is his uncle. Um, if you didn't know that, um, so it's really really no surprise that it, that if he didn't go with the team that he was signed, uh, you know, drafted by, that he wound up on the Bruins. Um, I, I agree with that assessment that he's probably more of a, a middle six type of project. Um, certainly needs at least one, probably two years in the minors before we kind of see what he's capable of. But but definitely a good signing, and I, I'm really excited to see how he turns out. I love the fact that he's only 22 years old right now, too. Um, so he gives that little dose of youth, that injection of youth that I think this team kind of needs right now. Um, he, he gave a little bit of a self-assessment too, uh, on his press conference after he was signed by the Bruins. So he said, I see myself as a 200 foot centerman. I can play on both ends of the ice. I'm good at face-offs. I think I can play any role that I need to. I pride myself on being somebody that can do that. My hockey sense intangible wise is probably my biggest strength. I think a guy that I tried to obviously not comparing myself at all, but a guy I watched a ton and really tried to emulate myself after was Patrice Bergeron. I think the way he played the game was amazing. That's the guy that I try to play like as much as I can. So, I mean, with that quote, he's like already singing, you know, sweet choruses into my ears by, you know, you know, saying nice things about Patrice and trying to emulate his game. I mean, why wouldn't you? I think every, every center in that plays the game, even current NHL players, could probably do a little bit more of, of emulating Patrice Bergeron's game, you know, as long as your name's not like um, Anze Kopitar or something like that, who's already, you know, a high-end two-way centerman in their own right. But, um, yeah, I, I I wouldn't surprise me if we saw him get a cup of coffee here with the big club this year. Um, you know, you're probably right, Blix. It, it is probably best for him to just get acclimated to the professional, you know, rigor. I mean, the NCAA schedule is very, very light compared to even an mm-hmm. AHL schedule. And um, it definitely will probably be needed for him to get some some marination down there in the A. And, you know, seeing a center core of Beecher and Farinacci down the middle for Providence, they could certainly be doing much worse on that front. I also think, like you had mentioned, I, I, you also have to think back. He, he was kind of part of that class of, players developing during the COVID whole, you know, the mm-hmm. COVID era. Right. So he, um, since, since Harvard, or I guess, you know, um, the whole, their whole division, um, uh, decided to take the year off due to COVID. He, he did, he only played seven games in the USHL that year. Um, so he totally missed out on a year of develop. That's also the year he played in the world juniors. And like you said, played a prominent role, lots of PK time, lots of defensive zone faceoffs. Um, I think he, suited up as the third line center, you know, quote unquote, third line center. He played in all situations and, and had a big role on that team. So, yeah, I think he was like the third leading scorer on that team when he was in isolated minutes as a third line center. Like, I mean, maybe that's partic- you know, partially because of matchup uh, advantages that he got from, you know, facing maybe some, you know, second pair, th- third pair defensemen. But I mean, when you're able to produce at the highest end tournament for your age bracket, um, 
that bodes well for the next level. I mean, granted, we have seen some players absolutely light it up in the World Juniors tournament, and then it just didn't translate. I'm talking like Nail Yakupov, those types of folks. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's, it, it's I'm really optimistic about this kid. Um, it's not just the Boston market that is talking this kid up now because we signed him. He was widely regarded as the top NCAA free agent during this kind of signing window. So, uh, yeah, I've got nothing but great things to say for Donnie Sweeney going out there and picking up Farinacci. Like we've already kind of summarized in other episodes, you know, the Bruins are between a rock and a hard place for this year. It's kind of a a win now slash transitional year because we can't go out and spend assets to bring more players in due to the obviously well-documented um, constraints that the team is under. So um, I think it's a shrewd little bit of business there. And any, any closing thoughts on the Farinacci signing, Burge? I mean, you kind of just hit it right there. I mean, with the what they're looking at this year in terms of it being a transition year, I wouldn't even call it a, necessarily a win now uh, team this year. I'm more of the, this is a transition year. We're playing for, you know, 24, 25. That's where the cap's going to go up. You're going to have money. They're going to maybe use this year to hopefully recuperate some of the draft assets that they've, that they've spent off. And so anytime you can get a signing like this, I'm all for it. Throw as many darts at that dartboard as you can. Hope one or two of them stick. Absolutely. House money, baby. Speaking of house money, we've already had some wonderful Bruins fans on Twitter complain about Don Sweeney's move today. Um, so in the news today was uh, the the Bruins had announced that they had signed um, Quebecois winger Alex Chason to a professional tryout agreement. So um, Chason spent last year, he signed a deal with Detroit's AHL uh, affiliate. Um, he proceeded to produce at a high level with that AHL team. And he was called up to the Red Wings and, and signed to a NHL deal. And he continued to produce at a decent rate um, with the Red Wings. So Chason is an NHL veteran. He's 32 years old. Um, actually, he might even be older than that. I think I think he's 32. But um, he's he's got some decent size. Um, I think he's like 6'4". He's a right shot, right wing, and the Bruins are very low on those as it is. But I think it really kind of continues a trend that the Bruins are doing in the last bit of shopping for them that they're trying to get bigger up front. And obviously this PTO doesn't necessarily mean that Chason's going to get an NHL deal. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he did, like a one-year, you know, 700, whatever the league sal- minimum salary is, like 800-something. Mm-hmm. But... um I I, I I don't see any reason to complain about this contract because, A, it's not even a true contract right now. There's no risk. You bring him in here, see if he develops some chemistry with some players on the second power play unit perhaps, um, put him in the net front presence. That's where he made his money with Detroit and with Edmonton before. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's just one another one of those, as you were alluding to, Burge, another one of those darts on the dartboard. Let's see what sticks. Do you guys have any thoughts on it? I I just don't understand why anybody could be upset about this. I mean, there's absolutely no commitment from the Bruins to chase on to bring him into camp and see what he's got. Um, Find that a lot of Bruins fans do end up complaining a lot about these medial things. And, you know, some of them may end up working out. 
an 11 year veteran of the NHL, I would bring him in in a heartbeat. Why not see what he can do? Maybe he offers you something like you said, uh, ace there. And, you know, maybe he fits into the, you know, a bottom six role down the road, even if not, he's a depth piece, you know, injuries happen in the league all the time. You know, we've seen it here time and time again. What's the harm in having a veteran, a veteran presence here to, you know, come out and show us what he's got. Oh my God! No, Don Sweeney wants to sign all these old, washed-up guys. Yeah. Like, why doesn't he ever bring in the kids? I give the kids a chance. And then if he ever does, fucking give the kids a chance. We got. Oh my God, Don Sweeney! Why didn't you go out and trade for a big, high-end player? I read on Facebook that this guy uh, uh, McDavid is available. Why didn't you go get McDavid? Like, it's fucking unreasonable, dude. I can't, can't stand it. It happens every year. It doesn't stop. And it's part of the reason why, like, I follow a select few amount of people around the Bruins. There's only a select few I like to interact with. Otherwise, I get triggered and then, you know, end up deleting a Facebook account or something because I'm like, I don't need the stress in my life. <laughs> That's a true story, by the way. It is a true Burns story. absolutely deleted his Facebook account defending Tukarask at one point. Um yeah, I mean, as far as a, a PTO, there's nothing like Burge said. There's there's no commitment from the Bruins, um, and, and I think this is a guy you take a chance on, anyways. I mean, he's a former one-time twenty goal scorer in the NHL, um, and he looks like he scored five or, t- or ten goals in five separate seasons. Um, so certainly, you can get that depth scoring out of this guy playing, you know, bottom six minutes. Uh, yeah, you, at you the look very at, least. You look at his minutes that he's played and scoring those double digit goals. I mean, he's not it's not like he's playing top six minutes. He's playing bottom right. six minutes out of it. Yeah. So take the shot. Take the absolute shot there. Absolutely. It's also funny too, because if I remember correctly, when the Bruins were uh, shopping Tyler Sagan and eventually traded him to the stars, um Jason was one of the big pieces that they wanted to get out of the deal. It didn't work out in the end. Um but it kind of a, a full circle moment, I guess, there with the with the Sagan deal that they wind up uh, signing him to a PTO. That deal the still pisses me off, man. Like, I understand Shirelli was all butthurt because Tyler Sagan slept with his daughter. And he also slept with Nathan Horton's wife. Allegedly. Allegedly. Tyler, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Um, this is just what I've heard. <laughs> like, good for you, dude. Like, she's literally a porn star. And <laughs> Shirelli's daughter was 18. I'll give you credit. And she was quite attractive as well. But you can't do that to your boss's daughter and a teammate's wife. Like, that's not a, a good thing to do. Um, wish you were still a Bruin. Wish you didn't sleep with all those women. But, uh, yeah. Um, Chase on has always been a guy that I kind of liked, too, because he's got that that big net front presence. And he's got that, like, <laughs> I don't want to be, like, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush here. But that, like, Alex Burroughs style of... What did I do? I didn't do anything. I don't know why you're blaming me. You're mad at me. Like right after he accidentally on purpose, like high stick the goalie or something like that. And it's just like that, that little shittiness uh, of willingness of mixing it up in front of the net that I always kind of get a kick out of. And a little bit of a rat. Yeah. Yeah. I love a little rat, you know, Kenny Linsman type shit going on there. So um yeah i'm optimistic let's see how it goes like like we said what's the absolute worst that happens here it doesn't work out he doesn't get a contract or it does work out he gets a contract and he costs us like at most what like one million on a contract no way he's gonna be able to be like 
my market value is 1.5 mil. And we're going to be like, we literally signed JVR for one year, one mil. Like you're not going to make more than JVR and Milan Lucic. I'm sorry. Like that's not going to happen. Do a lot of these Bruins fans that are pissed about this think he's going to get salary arbitration if they decide to offer him a contract? Like, do they think he's going to make a lot of money? No, he's not going to. He's going to make the veteran minimum if they even decide to bring him on board. And if he makes the veteran minimum and he performs completely not at an NHL level, they can just bury his contract in the minors, send him through waivers, yep. put him down there where he can you know, show these younger guys how to play professional hockey. Um, and, and that's the worst case scenario that we'll get out of it. He won't count against the cap at all. He's um, already proven that he's willing to do that. And there are NHL veterans that are like, I'm too good to play in the minors. I will not play for your AHL franchise. You insult my you know, ability by trying to do that to me. Um, you know, Chase on has already proven that he's willing to go down there and, and assume that that leadership role and prove it with his play. Um, that's how he got his chance with Detroit on our rebuilding team last year. And he showed that he can still play at the NHL level. So um, no, I, I, I think it's a good shrewd signing and we'll see how he does in training camp. If he's completely gassed and can't keep up in the play, just don't fucking sign him. Release him from the PTO problem solved. Bruins fans must be worried about the Jacobs pockets if they're going to waste money on a veteran minimum contract that can just be sent to the minors. I mean, I can assure you all, Charlie and Jeremy Jacobs can afford to throw that veteran minimum salary away. But believe me, it's not going to increase your beers at TD Garden. Yeah, they're spending almost as much on Mike Riley's buyout this year. So Exactly, exactly. <laughs> if not more. <laughs> yeah. Um, so those of you that don't know, if you don't, if you haven't seen our social media presence, um, on the two pad stack here, uh, we also play a little EASHL on NHL 23. Um, we play on Xbox, but it doesn't really matter what platform you're on with NHL 24 that's coming out. They've announced that they have full cross play for EASHL. Um, Every Monday night when we're done recording the pod, uh, we do try to get a live stream in of EA Sports NHL. Um, by the time you're hearing this, last night probably was fun. Um, Blix probably made a bunch of saves you shouldn't have in net. And um, Burge and I probably had some crazy chemistry. So definitely keep an eye out for the next live stream uh, on Monday nights. We generally fire up the stream around 9.15, 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. And we definitely love to see you guys there. You can find it on aces twitch account that's my twitch account that's uh www.twitch.tv slash ace zero four three so um on that note there um all three of us are going to be playing and there's been some news that have come out on nhl 24 and because we all are playing it we figured why not add that as a topic list here um for the remainder of the pod so i'll hand it over to you blix first what are your initial thoughts on some of the new features and functionality coming in 24. Yeah, so I think this is uh, this is the first time that in, in at least a few years, EA has actually introduced um, new deal features to the game, at least the gameplay. Um, it sounds like they're making a pretty large overhaul on what was the skill stick. Um, they're, they haven't really explained it a ton, and I haven't dove into the uh, the technical test that's available right now yet. Um, but that sounds like a, a very interesting addition to the game. I guess you can still use the skill sticks. So, you know, uh, my classic controller users that uh, that 
refuse to move on, at least you'll be able to uh, still use the skill stick. Um, one thing that I'm a little, uh, let's say, weary about, especially uh, when I suit up the pads uh, in the game, um, is the, the vision passing that I've seen in, in the videos. Um, it seems a little bit strong to me. Um, kind of looks like it's going to make defense and goaltending a living hell in the game. Um, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's certainly another new exciting feature that they're adding, which is, which is always welcome. Um, I, th- I think that the vision passing is really going to, you know, help out a lot. And I, I, there's so many times where I was playing defense in EASHL and I'm looking to set up a quick breakout and I'm like, okay, there's a guy streaking right up the middle. He's going to be able to split the D and I try to aim my pass and it goes to the wrong fucking guy. And it goes on to the left wing instead of the guy going up the middle. And I'm like, that's not who I wanted to fucking pass to. And and now with the vision icon passing, I'm able to hold right trigger or whatever the fuck it is on PlayStation. I don't use that shitty console. No offense. Um, but please take offense. Take offense. Um, you just hold right trigger and it just shows all of the, the button options. And it's not just isolated on your your screen either. You know, every other player on the ice is going to see, at least on your team, is going to see that you've activated vision passing, and they're going to know that you're, like, looking for alternatives. Um, so I, I, I think it's a really nice change, personally. Um, have you heard anything about the goaltending changes, Blix? Um, so it sounds I, – I they didn't explain it super well in the uh, the, the – video that they released yeah. um, but it sounds from what i've heard uh who from people who played the technical test is that there's there's quite a bit of it's it's very different um mm-hmm. the the self-centering mechanism i've heard is actually quite annoying um because if you don't if you're not actively moving the left stick it will automatically move your goalie to the center of the net um, yep. which to me seems like a nightmare when you're you know, in position, like say you're facing uh defense, like your defenseman has the puck at the point and you just want to keep that angle. You don't need to move. And the game automatically starts centering you to the middle of the crease. That's kind of seems uh, not like something you'd want to do. Um, but, but I, one thing I do really like is the, the prediction system that they uh, implemented this year. I haven't tried it out yet, obviously, but um and it's not a new feature. They've had this in past years, um, probably more than five years ago. But, you know, the ability to guess what side of the net the shot's going on um, to either increase or if you guessed incorrectly, decrease your ability to make the save, I think is an exciting feature. Um, adds a little bit more um, skill to the position, I suppose, rather than just making sure you're in the right position and, and the game does all the work. Yeah, and, and there's a lot that I could say about it, but there is a, a NDA on the playtest right now, so we're going to have to reserve too many of my comments here until after that NDA is um, you know, released and everybody has access to the test and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's exciting for me. I My biggest thing is going to be the cross-play side of things because you know, for primetime uh, productions here, um, I play for the only Bruins team on Wednesday nights. Uh, the Something's Bruin team plays on Thursday nights. Um, their PlayStation, where Xbox, 
And it'll definitely be a lot of fun to be able to put together like a seven game series against the something's brewing guys. Bridge, did you have any thoughts on the, uh, on the announcements or trailers for 24? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm probably more of a casual NHL player compared to you two. Um, the bit, like you just touched on it. The cross play thing has been a big thing that I've been wanting to see in NHL and across all of EA's games. I, I only, I, I don't only play NHL. I play Madden. I play, you know, FIFA. I play all the, you know, the EA games. So that's, that's encouraging to see that they're finally bringing that to a game. So you're a masochist, you're saying? Yes, pretty much. <laughs> um, but overall, for me, the biggest part of the announcement, uh, I forget when it was, but it was like a week or so ago, was that there, it seemed like that they're going to be putting more effort into GM Connected or franchise mode, as they call it. Um, I love playing those that game mode that's usually what I, my go-to when I end up playing one of EA sports games and in my history playing Madden and having a connected franchise has been nothing more fun for me than playing you know a franchise with you know a bunch of my buddies and you know trying to you know win the championship in that so seeing that finally come back to NHL is something that I'm, I'm excited for especially because when it was out, I think the last game they had, it was in the early, either the late, you know, 2000s or the early 2010s. I wasn't really into the mode at that point. So seeing the fact that they're putting some effort into that and that we're going to see that hopefully in one of the next two uh, installments in the game is uh, something that's got me really excited. Yeah. And shout out to my boy, James Sabalski, who joined us on the last episode. Um, Definitely had some fun chats about it. I could tell that he wanted to talk about the game, but he couldn't until, you know, the uh, the the uh, curtain was unveiled and and they were able to release some de- details on the game. I'm really excited about the fact that it seems like, as as Blix has kind of alluded to, it seems like that they're trying to, you know, invest more in the core gameplay loop versus just bolting on you know, annoying new features. Like if I have to log into the world of Chell one more time and I hear that woman talk to me about, Oh, looks like we've got more competitors. Oh yeah. I can't wait to see what they're doing or something along those lines. I'm like, shut the fuck up and let me get into the goddamn locker room. Like, I don't want to hear you. I don't give a shit. What you, I don't care what season it is like. And, and I has, I saw somebody else that was talking about how like, Oh, I wish we had the winter classic mode. Like the winter classic mode was kind of cool. I played it maybe once or twice and then I just wanted to play EASHL online and all these little like features like that and game modes that don't really impact the core gameplay loop for the vast majority of the regular player base. um, It pissed me off because you look at it this way, you know, where does your money come from, from the, the game itself right now? You're getting the hut players that are like ridiculous pack terrors. And I, I can't stand that portion of the game myself, but I understand why they do it from a revenue perspective. Um, and then the the best online gameplay in sports, in my opinion, is EASHL. And that has been that way since like NHL 12, 13. Um, they've really had gold right here that they've been sitting on. I've talked to countless people on Twitch when I'm just looking up EA Sports streams where um, these guys aren't even hockey fans. They don't know shit about hockey, but just jumping in and playing drop-ins is so much fun, and it's getting a lot of these people invested in the game. It's getting them invested in them in the sport a little bit, I think. Um, 
but it, it's a mode that I think has been, you know, grossly ignored in the last six or seven years. It's been basically the same exact game since like NHL 15 and NHL 24 looks to be like the first true investment into changing up the core gameplay cycle. And, and that's super appealing to me. Yeah, I, feel I, like completely, it be, I completely agree. Ace. Um, I, this see, this seems like the game, whether it's good or bad, is at least different. Um, it seems like this this is the largest change they've made since the introduction of the skill stick, which I think was either NHL 12 or 14 or something like that. Um, so we're talking at least a decade since the last real core gameplay change, as you put it, um, like this one, which is really exciting. You know, it absolutely is a goldmine, too, for for the NHL franchise, because none of EA's other games have a mode that's like this. It's completely unique to NHL, and they really do need to revamp and you know move forward with it in terms, like you said, Ace, from a uh, from a revenue standpoint. Yeah, and, and you look at it this way too. I mean, like FIFA is probably the closest thing that they have, for, like FIFA's club mode. But I mean, soccer, you have a shit ton more people on the field. And it's never going to be manageable to have literally every player on the field controlled by a human. And the same thing with Madden. Nobody's ever going to be like, yeah, I want to be the offensive tackle. Like, that's really compelling to me. I would love to be an offensive tackle. How many pancakes can I get? Like, nobody's (laughs) going to be stoked to get pancakes in Madden. You know, hockey itself is in a a pristine position because it's, it's much more simplistic with the positional requirements. There's only five skaters. There's one goalie. You know, EA, even in their shitty server situation, they can handle having six players on each side controlling one person. Every friggin' player in the game is controlled by a real human. And and that's really compelling gameplay, I think. And it, it really kind of creates a fun environment to play online. Um, I, I will share something from the tech test that I played earlier today. It has nothing to do with the features or anything like that. But it was... Um, it was definitely enlightening for me to get into a public lobby and then have 15 year old kids saying that they're going to fuck my mom again. It was just like call of duty, modern warfare Two lobbies back in the day. He's like, I'm going to clap your cheeks. I was like, you probably are, bud. Like, <laughs> like I've got the a past. And stuff. <laughs> like, I hope you do. And he just, they, they, they definitely struggled a little bit earlier today. Like they were just, um, they probably outshot us like six to one, but our goalie stood on his head and we ended up beating them. But, uh, but yeah, Chell's back, baby. Um, and I'm really excited for 24. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that the, the, the new development team is going in the right direction. They're prioritizing the right things. As Burr said, there's always been a big push from the community for GM connected, despite the fact that when it was a feature, it was a steaming pile of garbage um you know in in a perfect world they're able to implement gm connected with like a third party application online or something where managers can send in lines submit trades or whatever but um that's coming they said it's not in, it's not going to be in 24 it might not even be in 25 but they hear it the community wants it and they're going to be working on it um yeah i mean that 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 makes me optimistic yeah, I mean, I could see it being a little bit of a challenge for them to implement, which is why they're taking the time to do it. You know, with Madden, it's 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 pretty straightforward where you play one game a week and then, you know, that's it. 
with an NHL 82 game season, if you're going to, you know, play every game, that's going to take, be a pretty significant time commitment to do it. So I'll be interested to see, you know, when they release the features on it, you know, year or so down the road, how they're going to do it. And the other thing that I thought was interesting is that I didn't bring this up in the interview with James Sabolsky, but he brought it up unprompted. And he was like, I know everybody's looking for the PC port. And that's something that's being talked about by everyone. Everyone's like, why can't we get Chell on PC? Madden goes on PC. FIFA goes on PC. And obviously those two games sell exponentially more copies than what the NHL franchise does. But it was good to hear that somebody that literally has a contractual agreement in place with EA would bring up the PC port, you know, unprompted. So obviously that means that he's heard something either from the gamers, probably online. I mean, let's look, yeah. let's face it. Everybody on Twitter, when they see anything about NHL 24, they're like, her same game, port to PC, the same fucking garbage that they do every time, which, I mean, I get it to some extent, but um, I don't know. It has me optimistic that maybe that there's some more traction on that feature behind the scenes as well, because I would love nothing more than to not have to use my capture card to stream Joe. I mean, my, some of my earliest memories playing NHL were on my PC at my house as a kid. I'd love to see it come back. Uh, I, I consider myself more of a PC gamer at this point, so it would be helpful to not need a console to play it. And it, I would surely bring back a bunch of memories from when I was a kid to be able to play it on my PC. Cool. Any closing thoughts on Chell, gentlemen? Uh, no more hockey bags. Yeah, thank God no more fucking hockey bags. There was nothing worse than being like, oh, wow, I have to sit in this fucking menu for 13 minutes to find out which 14 tracksuits for the Calgary Flames I got. I don't to, give a fucking shit about that. Not to mention the annoying controller motion you had to do to open the bag. Oh, yeah. You have to move the joystick. You have to move the move joystick the to open the bag. Yep. Wow. How engaging. It, it only took them like five years to add the open all feature. And then and then just take away bags the year after anyways. But <laughs> and then you have that like five second like moment of suspense while your shitty console is trying to load the bag itself. It's just like sitting there like I'm like, let me open the fucking bag. I want to open the fucking bag. Please let me open the fucking bag. And then you get your 15 Calgary Flames tracksuits anyway. <laughs> but one of them is a legendary because it's got like a purple stripe or something like because fuck. You. And then you get a goalie blocker even though you don't play goalie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I do like, that's a good point. So before we wrap it up here, I, I did see that they announced officially publicly that they're, they've done away with bags. Um, they have a full store and a battle pass in NHL 24, which uh, I know that some people have strong feelings about battle passes, you know, whatever it is, what it is. It's in basically every EA game now. Um, I'm a big Apex Legends guy for first-person shooters, and they've had a battle pass since day one. And you know, if it's executed correctly, and you get enough like premium currency within the battle pass to pay for the battle pass again, um, it's fine. It's whatever. But I like the fact that I'm not going to have to open 30 bags and get a bunch of shit that I'm never going to even use. Mm -hmm. Like I will never once in my life equip my player with Montreal Canadian stuff. Never, ever. Like, or Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, like I might do that as a joke after they lose in the first round. I'll throw a Leafs hat on or something. Because <laughs> that, it, you know, inevitably happens. 
But um, no, nah, just the Habs, dude. <laughs> I mean, it's it's different now, and and I'm pivoting here again before we wrap things up here today for today's episode. But you know, just just like the state of the league and the landscape of rivalries for the Boston Bruins right now, um, I really feel like you know what was instilled in me in the mid to late 2000s was that deep loathsome hatred for the Montreal Canadiens mm-hmm. because they were like that that top club they were always that finesse team that would um flop to get 13 power plays and and they'd score on like seven of them um i just really absolutely hated them and when that team is good that fan base oh my fucking god it Awful. is the worst fucking Awful. fan base to deal with in in my entire lifetime they would fill up fucking buses from montreal and drive down to TD Garden, and they would take up whole fucking sections in TD Garden. And I swear to God, like, if I heard that ole, ole, ole chant one more fucking time in TD Garden back then, I was going to find the most secure beam that could support my weight and just fucking (laughs) end it all. It was the worst, dude. Like, there was nothing better in this world that could have happened than for the Montreal Canadiens to go straight into the fucking basement. I'm right there with you. And that was instilled in me from my father when I was a young kid. It was Montreal was the worst. You know, he educated me on the history of the, of, you know, the rivalry and the Stanley Cups and, and, you know, all that. And I remember, I think it was, it was either 01 or 02 or 03 or 04 when um, they came back. The Can- Bruins were up 3 1 and the Canadians came back and, you know, won the series against the Bruins. I think it was when. Kyle McLaren did something stupid to one of the Habs Holy players. I forget shit, who that's it was. A name I haven't heard in a long time. Right? Yeah. And I, the hatred for me has always been there. But as it is now, just given the state of the Habs and where they've been for, you know, quite some time now, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're my number one hated team right now. I just want to see them lose. I don't even care if the Bruins win. I want to see the, those fans up there in Toronto suffer. Suffer. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that. I feel like that there's been a lot of younger Bruins fans that are like entering the social media world that I'm starting to interact with. And they're always like, I don't really care about the Habs. I was like, that's probably because you haven't had a fucking reason to care about mm-hmm. the Habs. Like they've been in the basement for the last 10 years. And and don't don't cite that that cup run to me. No. Like that was the flukiest of fluke cup runs I've ever and obviously they lost. But um at, at anytime Tampa Bay and Montreal can meet in the finals in this current format. Like that, that's, that's fucked to me. Like it, 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 there's no reason for that to have even had um, occurred. So, um, but yeah, the Habs have have been just a a dumpster fire for the last 10 years and I couldn't be a happier person because of it. Um, But the Leafs definitely to, to your point, British, you know, the Leafs have been that team that everybody's like, oh, this is the next team that's going to win the cup. They're going to be the greatest team. They have Austin Matthews. They have William Nylander. They have Mitch Marner. They have Morgan Riley. They're going to do it all. And then they perennially, every fucking year, the wheels fall off for them. And it's so fucking funny. But their fans, dude, their their fans are probably right up there with with uh, Montreal fans on how fucking obnoxious they are for the longest time during that era where Montreal was so good, Toronto was in the basement in that same sort of situation. Mm -hmm. And I always just kind of felt bad for Leafs fans because I knew that they had so much hockey history. Um, The, the province of Ontario has a, it's probably 
hockey's mecca for just the amount of people that play it and enjoy it. Um, but they were always just so fucking bad. And I had a bunch of friends online that were Leafs fans, and I genuinely felt bad until they got good, and then all their fans were fucking obnoxious, and then I don't give a shit anymore. It's, it's fun to plant a seed when you see a Montreal and a Toronto fan going at it. Just drop in, drop the bomb, and get out and let them go at each other. It's hilarious. <laughs> we, Our Sim Hockey League, we have it with, with the Leafs and the Habs, and it's obnoxious to talk with them. They're not like way out there with you know some of the stuff you see on twitter but it's always fun to plant a seed and get out and just let them let them kind of do their thing against each other it's, yeah, it's just, a fun read just light the fuse and toss the stick of dynamite in there and get yep. the fuck out yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right guys um that's probably going to do it here for episode five um really would like to thank uh curtis blix larod for joining us um it was great having you here so thank you very much Burge, as always, my wonderful co-host, thanks for your participation today. And to you, the listener, we appreciate you uh, coming back uh, again and again. And um, we look forward to talking to you guys next week. So um, any closing remarks, gentlemen? No, I'd just like to, I'd just like to say thanks, Blix, for uh, you know coming out today and chatting with us. I know we, we have our fun Bruins chat in our, in our Discord server. And we, it's fun to actually get on uh, voice with you and actually have a conversation about it. And uh, just one thought, I just wanted to reach out and say thanks to uh, James Cebulski for last week. Obviously, I couldn't make the interview, um, but I did get a chance to listen to it, obviously. And uh, it was a great conversation, and I hope to hope to hear from him again soon and actually be present for it. Great. Awesome. All right, guys, Till next time, signing off. This was uh, the Two Pad Stack. Peace.